Good morning again, friends. Uh, this morning we're continuing our look at the study of Jesus' life in the book of Luke. And this morning we're in Luke chapter 6, verses 1 through 11. We are at the end of a series of stories of controversies. This is a real, this won't be the last controversy Jesus enters into, obviously, but we're at the end of a section of controversies where Jesus is going back and forth with the Pharisees about certain interpretations of the law. Uh, Next week, we'll be diving into the Sermon on the Plain, which I'm really very excited about. But this morning, we're looking at two stories back-to-back of of conflict specifically that has to do with their interpretation of the Sabbath law. And before I read this passage, I just want you to know that the Sabbath represented a really significant cultural identity for these people. So they are arguing about something. Uh, they're, they're in controversy about something that is incredibly significant to the people that Jesus is talking to. This is Luke chapter 6, verses 1 through 11. Please read with me, if you will. On a Sabbath, while he, Jesus, was going through the grain fields, his disciples plucked and ate some of the heads of grain, rubbing them in their hands. But some of the Pharisees said, why are you doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath? And Jesus answered them, have you not read what David did when he was hungry? He and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God and took and ate the bread of presence, which is not lawful for any but the priests to eat and also gave it to those with him. And he said to them, the son of man is the Lord of the Sabbath. On another Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and was teaching, and a man was there whose right hand was withered. And the scribes and the Pharisees watched him to see whether he would heal on the Sabbath, so that they might find a reason to accuse him. But he knew their thoughts, and he said to the man with the withered hand, Come and stay here. Stand here. And he rose and he stood there and Jesus said to him, I ask you, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to destroy it? And after looking around at them all, he said to him, stretch out your hand. And he did so and his hand was restored. But they were filled with fury and discussed with one another what they might do to Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. Let me pray. Father, I ask that the words of my mouth and the meditations of the Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Jesus, I pray that you would use this text, that we would see you, the Lord of all rest, and that we would really find our rest in you. Help us as we engage this passage and help me to be clear and loving to these friends during this time. I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So you ever have one of those times where you jump into something um, because you really just want to hang out with some people, make some new friends, and uh, you realize that you have no business being there at all? My introduction to a church softball league was one of those times. Now, now I, uh, I have never played baseball. I have very marginal, uh, very little athletic ability. I know that's a shocker. Um, and I actually thought the game of baseball was pretty, uh, was pretty simple, like it was a game that I watched on TV. And what I learned at this time was that baseball is very, very complex. Like there's a lot going on on the field at any given time. 
and, uh, and that the church softball league was also very, very intense, okay? There were a lot of the guys that played were, they had all played in high school, a couple of them had played in college, and, uh, and they were in it to win it. And they didn't want me to go out there and embarrass myself or embarrass them, but they were very gracious with me and set up some training sessions. So I, I went out and played some, played some, learned to play some baseball. And what stuck out to me the most was just uh, how the small things matter a lot when you're playing baseball, like where, where you uh, put your feet when you throw, um, what you should be paying attention to when some people are on base, or like what, you know, what developing a routine before you go up to bat is. And what they taught me was that if you do the little things right, then it increases the likelihood that you might be able to do the big things right. Like you might, it just, it just helps you out. Next, they put me out in right field, uh, which I learned later was where you hide your poorest fielder. So they put me, they put me out in right field and, uh, and then a pop fly was coming my way and I can still see the ball in the air. I can still remember looking up at it as if it was just kind of suspended there. And I slid under the ball and reached out my glove to catch it. And it came down and smacked me right in the forehead. And uh, I had, I'm not kidding, I had an imprint of laces on my forehead that I had to go back to the, to the office with for, uh, for a couple of days. I still have no idea why they call it a softball. That just <laughs> doesn't seem to make any sense. Um, but everybody was laughing. It was uh, apparently it wasn't that bad, but everybody's laughing at me. And my friend, who was teaching me a lot about the sport at that point, came, ran up to me and he said this. He said, you did everything right until you didn't catch the ball. Like you, you did everything right. And, uh, and, and I learned something that day that you can do everything right. Like you can get all the little things right. You can so immerse yourself into something and get all the little things right and totally whiff when it comes to understanding what you're doing out there in the first place. And that can be as true for us in church life as it was true, as it was true for us in that church league softball game. What do I mean by that? One of the most difficult things that I see regularly in the church are uh, earnest Christ followers. People who love Jesus and are seeking to live out their faith in really earnest ways with all the dignity and character that they can muster. And still seem so detached from the joy and the freedom that a life with Christ represents for us. Like all fervor and interest in getting it right, but still somehow have missed the heart of the faith that Christ calls us into. Listen, fervor without joy is exhausting. It is. And if your faith has become for you something that's burdensome more than it is a source of joy and freedom, then this is the passage for you. Because what we have in this passage are experts in the law. These are the Pharisees, experts in the law, and they are confronting Jesus and his disciples because they are breaking critical rules of the faith. And the more I look at these stories, it's just it becomes so easy for me to see 
uh, how simple of a thing it is to immerse yourself in God's law with the earnest desire to honor him and follow him and totally miss God's heart for you entirely. And that's what I want to talk to you this morning about, is uh, the accusations that are coming Jesus's way, how he responds to them, and then how his responses reveal God's heart to his people in really encouraging ways that I think that we need to hear, okay? So accusations, real quick, Jesus's response and how those responses reveal to us God's heart for us, all right? Accusations, two stories, one with a clear accusation, right? The first one, the Pharisees are leveling an accusation at the disciples, and the second one, it says they're there looking to accuse him of something, okay? And, uh, and, and so that they're there watching him so that they might find a reason to accuse him. Both of these controversies are discussing what is and isn't appropriate to do on the Sabbath day. The first violation was simply that Jesus' disciples were walking through a field, they're plucking grain, and they're rubbing them together. And that was supposed to remove the chaff around the grain so you could, like, eat the, eat the grain head as a snack. Um, and that was something that was allowed to do. You could walk through grain fields and do that. It was a way that they took care of each other. But what was illegal was the, the threshing. That, that, was, that was considered threshing wheat. And that would have been a technical violation of the Sabbath law given to God's people. And then the second violation, in the second story, the, the, the accusations coming to them was that Jesus was performing a healing on the Sabbath, which, which again was something that you weren't supposed to do. Unless the only exceptions were if someone's life was in danger or if somebody was, um, uh, delivering a baby. Like there were certain, those were the exceptions when you could perform a healing on the Sabbath. And they, uh, and, and so they're very upset and looking at, at Jesus as someone who's performing a healing on the Sabbath. Now look, before I get, those are the accusations, but before I get into how Jesus, Jesus responds, I just want to give you a sense for the weight of these things. So keeping the Sabbath, the Sabbath regulations were critical in the life of a Jew. The Sabbath itself was a command given to Moses uh, on the top of Mount Sinai, it doesn't get any more serious for these guys than that. Um, the, they're considered a divine mandate. God repeated throughout their scriptures. Uh, he expressed his desire for them to enjoy rest. And it was so important to them that the Pharisees had developed a codified statement of 39 clarifications of what work is and what work isn't on the Sabbath. Um, and so uh, this was, you would find this in the Mishnah, which was rabbinical interpretation of these things. And this was strictly adhered to. And it was commonly understood and had immense authority in the life of the people. So the, the, the accusation that comes to Jesus and his disciples are that they are disregarding commonly accepted religious standards of behavior laid out for them on the Sabbath. That's the accusation. And it is a serious one. It is heavy. Now, how did Jesus respond? The the first thing I want you to see is that the accusation was leveled at the disciples, and Jesus stood in there and received it. it. It's just the coolest thing, that they're accusing the disciples of breaking the Sabbath, and it's Jesus who who answers as their defender and someone who's interceding for them on their behalf. I just love that picture of that. 
Uh, and then Jesus responds by calling to mind a story in David's life. It's a really cool story. You should look at it. You would find it in, in uh, 1 Samuel 21. And there David and his men are on the run because Saul is chasing them. And so they're running, they're exhausted, they're hungry, and they come across a tabernacle and they go into the tabernacle and they ask the priest if he has any food. And the, and the priest says, um, no, all I've got are these loaves of the, the bread of the presence, which was ceremonial bread, consecrated bread, and by law, only the priests were supposed to eat that bread. And in their time of need, the priest gave the bread to David and his men. And here's the kicker. God never condemns David, the priest, or anybody who ate that bread. And so Jesus is essentially saying the implications of that are, 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 are tremendous to us. He says, if you can't accuse David and his men in their time of need, then you also can't accuse me and my men in our time of need. That's the first response is understanding the need that's before them, reasonably. And then the second response is, uh, is also profound. Um, and so there's, there's this man with the withered hand. That probably means it was atrophied or paralyzed in some way. Uh, he couldn't work with it. Um, and uh, in the second story, Jesus is also reading their thoughts again, which is uh, really, um, could you imagine being in the room with Jesus and, you know, just thinking, you know, and he can read your thoughts. And he responds to their thoughts by saying something incredibly profound. He said, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to destroy it? And then the story says he looks around the room as if he's waiting for somebody to respond. And then he heals the man's hand. And they were furious and the implications of what Jesus said are profound. Because he said, if you ever are in a position to withhold good from, from somebody, then you, you, I'm sorry, if you're ever in a position to do good for somebody, then you do it. And, and he actually says, withholding good is evil, and that alone is against God's law. And it's interesting to me that Jesus asked both times what is lawful. You'll see this. The heart, the heart of this is a legal dispute about the life that God calls his people to and the law. And the irony jumps off the page. Because what the Pharisees have done, and this is what is uh, so interesting, profound and interesting to me, is what the Pharisees have done, and it's very sad... But they have surrounded God's call to rest on the Sabbath with laws that make trying to keep a law of rest hard work. And they have imposed standards of conduct on God's people that are themselves exhausting. And Jesus is saying that you are laying a burden on my people that I never wanted you to. I don't know if Jesus is angry in this passage. I, I can't quite tell. But if you ever want to see Jesus angry at Pharisees, you should look at Matthew chapter 23. Because there you'll see Jesus pronouncing woes over Pharisees. And it is intense. 
He goes right after them. And when you read it, just imagine the tension that's in the room building. It it might almost make you want to disappear. And the central claim... The central, a central concern of Jesus's when he when he um, pronounces woes over those Pharisees is that they have made the life of God's people burdensome in God in ways God never wanted them to. It's actually easier for us to do this than you think. It it is so easy for us to take this faith. That, uh, that we enjoy that's a source of joy and make it really hard on people, on each other and on ourselves. Over the years, I've gotten the chance to walk, with a, like, to, to walk and talk with a number of young people growing up in gospel-preaching churches. These are covenant children. And, uh, and the, like, often the moment that you long for with our children comes up and... Uh, and, and they are seriously evaluating this faith of their parents and the church that they go to, and they're asking the question if this is their own faith or not. And these are the moments that parents and pastors and elders, like these are the moments that we love. And so I'll tell you that, that one of the, um, it happens often that when I sit with a child and they are thinking about their faith, you know what the chief reservation that I hear is? I don't know if I'm good enough to be a Christian. Now, this is a moment, a pastoral moment served up on a platter for us to walk back through the gospel, and I'm excited to do that. But there is a sense of sadness for me that somehow, somehow it happened that in our emphasis on getting things right, that somehow we have communicated along the way to our children that the faith is for people that get it right more than they get it wrong and not for sinners in need of grace. It is so easy for us to do that. And something interesting about all of this, before we move, in, uh, before we move off this point, I want you to just see what the primary concerns are. That Jesus is concerned that his disciples have bellies full of food, and the Pharisees would rather see them go hungry. And that Jesus is concerned that a man has his hand back, And the Pharisees would rather him persist in difficulty. That Jesus' primary concern is for the well-being of the people around them. And the Pharisees are, are primarily concerned about the keeping of the law in a way that was a burden for the people that God never commanded them. There's a simple contrast in concerns between these two that emerges through this text that's, that, that show us in really profound and exciting ways God's heart for his people. And then he says this in verse 5, and I think this is really incredible. Jesus said, I am the Lord of the Sabbath. Do you know what Sabbath means? Sabbath means rest from your labor. Jesus said, I am the Lord of rest. He said, I am the Lord of rest. And if you want to know rest, you will know me. And, and, uh, and so come to me, he says. And you will, if you know me, you will experience the rest that God int- always intended for you. There's another passage. We used it for our call to worship this morning. And I want to read it to you again and just ask you if you believe it. 
Jesus said, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Friends, the promise of Jesus to you and to me this morning is that when you know Jesus, you will come to know the rest that he brings into your life. And this passage is so beautiful to us because it talks about how Sabbath rest points us to the rest that we find in Jesus. And how does that, how does that work? How would that work? Well, I'm going to talk about it in three ways. That, that Sabbath rest is a reminder and a declaration and a promise. That Sabbath rest is a reminder, a declaration, and a promise. The first thing is that Jesus' call to Sabbath rest is a reminder because, listen, there's not one of us in the room that can't stare at the law and not realize that, that the law accuses us, that the law is an accuser, and that we can't study God's law as desires for what our life would look like without also studying our own guilt. But we find our rest in Jesus because as we look on the perfect righteousness of Jesus, he clothes the faithful in his righteousness and he extends to us the mercy that we need in order to stand before before God with peace. And when Jesus invites us to trust him, then he is inviting us to rest because all that needs to be accomplished for us to stand right before God was done in Jesus. And so we can rest. And every time we enjoy Sabbath rest, we are reminded of all that has been accomplished for us already. There's joy to be had. There's immense joy to be had there. That you don't have to fight for this right standing with God anymore. And then Sabbath rest is also a declaration. Hear me now. Because if your life is, is at all like mine, and like many of those I know, then um, the demands of our work, the demands of our family, like try, just trying to meet the demands of our families, um, trying to meet the demands of our calendars, they, they will never run out. In, in many ways, our lives reflect unrest more than they do rest. And I can't tell you how many vacations I've ruined for my family just because it just felt like I just couldn't allow myself to rest amidst all those demands that, that, that I feel like are in my life. It's just, it, it, it can almost feel risky to step aside from, from, from trying to measure up to those things all the time and actually slow down and rest. And maybe that's you, maybe that's not you. Maybe you're one of the few that just seem to like have it all under control. But let's talk about our world for a minute. Is it a stretch to to look at our world and just characterize it as restless? Like, I can't log on to the internet or I can't watch TV without just seeing all the reasons that we have um, to, to, to be restless about the many deep concerns we have as we look at our world. It's very restlessness inducing for me and for many of you. And it can almost feel like it's irresponsible. Like you can only rest if you're ignorant of these things. 
There's a meme that makes the rounds constantly of a, like an anthropomorphic dog in a room, and the room is on fire. Some of you might know what I'm talking about here. And it's just in the room, and, it's, and the room's on fire, and the dog's just sitting there saying, uh, I'm fine, everything is fine, you know? And it, and it almost feels like that's what it takes. Like, I have to ignore the difficulties around me if I'm ever going to allow my heart to be at rest. But the Bible never calls us to, to ignorance, In fact, the Bible is reliably honest about the troubles of our world. But the beauty of Sabbath rest amidst all of the difficulties that we are confronted with every day in our lives is it is an active, conscious trusting of the one who holds all things in his hands. And nothing sits, out his control, sits outside his control. And we, when we rest, we are reminding ourselves of the surrender of the management of these critical things to a God who is far more powerful and far more concerned about ourselves in the state of the world than we are. And so Sabbath rest, my friends, is a declaration of who we trust. So it's a reminder and it's a declaration, but it's also a promise. Because hear me now, God promises you and me for all those who look to him in faith with trust in Jesus Christ and eternal rest. That the promises of God for the life to come are a time of rest. How, how, does, the, uh, how does the old hymn go? It says, when shall I reach that happy place and be forever blessed? When shall I see my father's face? And in his bosom, rest. That when we enjoy Sabbath rest, we are getting a peek at the world, the rest in the world to come. And we don't know much about that world, but we know we're going to be able to worship without masks on there. And we know that there's not going to be controversy or conflict. There's not going to be infighting amongst us about what's right and what's wrong. We know that there are not going to be any more wars And we know that there are not going to be any more viruses. And we know there's not going to be any more economic uncertainty that seems to, to plague us. We know that there will be nothing left for us to worry about. But the life with Jesus that God ensures, ensures for us is one of rest. Think about this. Your work will no longer be toil. But it will be wonderful. And we will be with each other. And just like the meal, last week when we looked at the meal, just like the meal points us to the feast to come, the Sabbath, regular practices of the Sabbath point us to the rest that's to come. And so friends, I just want to, to speak to you as, like from one burdened heart to another. That when you know Jesus... You are invited to rest. Let me pray. And Jesus, you know the irony of a restless heart trying to convince your people of the rest that's to be had in you. And so I pray that you would speak to us, calm our fears, and help us to see the good rest that's in store for us from you. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.